Hi, this is Shirley Halpern, Executive Editor of Variety. You're listening to Your Morning Coffee, the podcast with my friends Jay Gilbert and Mike Etchart. Weekly music news for the new music business. From Vox, with help from the pudding, we tracked what happens after TikTok songs go viral. And from Hypebot, a guide to releasing music in 2022. Albums versus EPs versus singles. Yeah, we've got that. We've got a lot more in between the two and after the two. So we just don't think this is going to be a short episode. No, not at all. (laughs) This is episode number 95 of the Your Morning Coffee podcast. Stand by for transmission. This is London Calling. Wake up! Your morning coffee is on the air. for the new music business. It's the highly curated, agitated, advocated, moderated, and liberated digital music information that you need to know. We are your digital music authority. Now, from our studios in Hollywood, California, here's your hosts, Jay Gilbert and Mike Etchart. And Jay, we are marching towards episode number 100. Boy, we're we're getting close, brother. We're getting close. Gosh, can you believe it? Mm-mm. No, it's, it's, I mean, it's hard to believe that, yeah, when you think about 95, when it's really, you know, because we did two specials as well, so we're, we're yeah. even closer than that, which we didn't call regular episodes, but um, right. it is, uh, yeah, it's very exciting, and I've, I've, I, I, I think back to those first couple ones that we did, and, and, you know, for us, the hardest thing wasn't just talking or getting great stories, because that was the easy part, but the hardest thing for, for me, certainly, too, was was the tech side of things. You know, it took yeah. us a minute to figure out what the best way of doing it was. And right. We, we, we tried a lot of different we things. We tried a lot, a lot of different, different things. Boards and mics and software and things, but that's all part of the, the learning uh, curve. But I got to tell you... I know you and I talk about this literally after every episode about how much fun we're having. And oh, <laughs> just yeah. it's just a joy every week to round these stories up and then, you know, come in and talk about them. And we've said this before, you and I, before we started doing this podcast, we would meet for lunch and we would just do this, but we just wouldn't necessarily hit record and we would talk about the music industry and what albums or documentaries that we like and and that sort of thing and it's just been an absolute joy uh doing this podcast absolutely and the fact that folks take the time certainly to listen because we see those statistics but not only listen but they also reach out from time to time and we've had so many great comments and and those and ideas and suggestions and it's just it's such a a joy and a gift to uh to hear from folks that listen in yeah i just we've had some good lunches with people who have written in we've gotten to have some really nice conversations with 
you know, some pretty important people in the industry. And mm -hmm. it's just, it's humbling, you know, when we get these notes uh, each week that say, Hey, you know, I listened to your podcast, uh, you know, tell me about this, or maybe, you know, could you do more about this? And it's, it's just been, uh, just fantastic. Well, so. and we've learned so much and people educate us, you know, they reach out and, and they will, they will add to stories that we've done and comment and add their two cents. And that gets, we incorporate that into the next time we talk about that, this stuff. So, yeah. uh, it is truly a back and forth with the, with the kind people that listen to us. And, uh, we, there's not a day yeah. that we don't, uh, underappreciate the fact, the, the joy, the gifts that we have yeah. by doing this. Yeah. So much fun. Yes, indeed. By the way, the guy that led me astray from my regular day job and <laughs> helped me and asked me to do this is none other than Jay Gilbert, my good friend of 20 plus years. He's the co-founder yeah. of music marketing and strategy company Label Logic. He is the curator of the wonderful Your Morning Coffee newsletter and a former executive with Universal Music, Sony Music, Warner Music Groups. And Fox Home Entertainment. Yeah, and the guy I get to do this with every single week is Mike Etchart, longtime host of Sound and Vision Radio, formerly of SST Records, Warner Music, Capital EMI, and Universal Music, one of my favorite people on the planet. And Mike, I am so excited to get into a couple of these stories, but there's some things that we wanted to cover prior to getting into those two stories that we uh, talked about. And the first one is this really interesting post from Alan Kovac that was on LinkedIn. Yeah. And if you don't know Alan um, he's a, an icon in this business, you know, Alan, you know, he used to manage, uh, Richard Marks, Motley Crue, Blondie. He's the CEO and, uh, founder of Better Noise and 10th Street Entertainment. And he posted something on LinkedIn that grabbed my attention. And I thought we could walk through that and talk about it because I thought it was, it was spot on. So this is what Alan posted on LinkedIn. Content should be created while the artist is in the studio for songs as they develop lyric videos, videos, artwork, photos, social media strategy should be created before a tour announcement. The stress comes from artists, managers, and labels unable to timely manage the supply chain. And I love that he's talking about the supply chain because that is so, um, you know, mm -hmm. we're so in tune with the, the challenges of that in, in the general economic markets in general. But he's looking at this as, as, as very much a supply chain that needs to be um, organized and thought through ahead of time, and which is great. He goes on to say, how can any artist rehearse, make videos, photo shoots, post social media, and be on tour? Single and album uh, into radio is last century thinking. Promoters and labels need to coordinate their marketing dollars to converge with content and media. Managers need to coordinate with labels and promoters to take the pressure off their artists. Right. And we've been talking about this a lot lately about, you know, that Halsey story and all of these people who are feeling pressure to post on social media. In fact, we're going to talk about that a little bit here. But he said the real issue is that we have a dearth of managers who will who will do their parts. This is due to the lack of recognizing 80% of the income comes from digital and streaming. You can't compete in a digital world without content. We are in the attention business today. Let's learn to unlearn from the last century so we spare artists digital fatigue. Wow. Yeah, really great, great piece. And, and so um, 
so succinct. <laughs> you know, he kind of laid it out. Yeah. And again, it, it, we, we have, we, this is an ongoing theme since we started the podcast, which is, you know, it's, it's so hard for an artist to be good at all these things. And, and yeah. the pressure is enormous, you know, it's do this, do this, do this. Oh, and by the way, write some great music along the way, you know, it's right. in, in, in the early days of, of our careers, this, the labels did the marketing really for the most part with certainly managers were, were participating in that process. But for the most part, the artists were just meant to do what they do best, which is right. Write record tour, yep. you know, well, we've said it before and it bears repeating. And, and actually in this first story, when, once we get into it, we'll, we'll talk about this a little deeper, but one of the things that they discuss is all of the roles and responsibilities of an artist and a manager today, especially on the artist. And there's, you know, mental health ramifications from just this overload of Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, Twitch, TikTok. It's just mind boggling all of the things that artists are expected to do. But what I like about what Alan Kovac said is it doesn't have to be that stressful um, yeah. if you do those six P's. Proper planning prevents piss poor performance. It is the most important thing you will ever learn. Before we get going further, Jay, we also need to mention that we have some wonderful sponsors. And without yes, we do. our sponsors, we could not do the show. So I do want to reach out and thank HypeBot. Since 2004, HypeBot has chronicled the new music industry and the trends and technologies that are changing how music is discovered, consumed, marketed, and monetized. It is edited daily by founder Bruce Houghton with help from Alana Bonilla, HypeBot, and sister blog Music Think Tank or published by live music live music discovery and marketing platform bands in town yes sir bands in town over 65 million live music fans trust bands in town to get personalized concert alerts recommendations and messages from their favorite artists it's the number one artist services platform it connects over 550,000 artists with their super fans managers labels agencies and artists access their own dashboard to manage and, and promote their tour dates across all platforms Yes, indeed. And of course, we have an article, as we often talk about from HypeBot, uh, that we're going to chat about today. And, uh, yeah. and you know, both both certainly HypeBot and Bands in Town, I'm trying to remember when, well, it says, obviously, in the copy since 2004. I don't think I was on to HypeBot in 2004, but I think the next year, by then, I I heard about it and recognized, you know, that was early days, you forget. I mean, that was... Very. Know, yeah, it was really early days. Yeah. That was when the... When the when the uh, the profits were going down 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 in the music business, yeah, it was a different era for sure. And you know, I followed Hypebot for years, and and Bruce Houghton is a friend, and and he's been on the Music Biz Weekly podcast several times with us. Um, he also has a uh, booking agency, Skyline Entertainment, mm -hmm. and he he knows so much more about the industry than most people that we run across, and he's just just a great guy and always a, a good person to kind of reach out to and say, you know, what do you think about this? What do you think this means? So hats off to our friends over at uh, HypeBot. Before we get into the HypeBot story and then that Vox story that we were talking about, I just wanted to give a shout out to another innovation uh, from Spotify. And you and I talk about Spotify innovations pretty regularly because they produce uh, innovations uh, fairly regularly. Um, there was a piece in Billboard about the launch of this new, um, I don't know what you call it, not a platform, but it's a website called infocus.byspotify.com, infocus.byspotify.com. And 
it's just this amazing resource, uh, educational materials in, I think there's like 21 different areas, including songwriting, you know, revenue generation, brand building. And it was put together by Spotify, but they also had some industry experts and even some artists like Olivia Rodrigo, Phoebe Bridgers, ASAP Ferg. And I went and played around with this and I know you did too. The first thing that grabs you about this site is it's just stunning. Gorgeous. I mean, it's beautiful as a website, right? <laughs> exactly. I'm like, and who does this? You know, they are just, uh, it's spectacularly, I mean, so it's just elegant. That's the only word I can yeah. really think of. It's beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. Yeah. What'd you think? I thought it was spectacular. And then what, what you know, we kind of talked about just for a second before, well, before I go there, I mean, so it's, it's, it launched just on Wednesday, and so it provides tools, resources, and educational materials in 21 focus areas across five career categories dubbed Create, Promote, Connect, Earn, and Learn. Yeah. The focus areas were, were decided upon thousands of points of feedback Spotify received through the interactions with artists via social media, the platform's help center, and one-on-one conversations, again, with artists. So what, what kind of knocked me out, and we talked about this again, as I mentioned uh, just before we hit record, so it's one thing to kind of educate people on the process of, of their streaming platform and all the ins and outs and all that stuff. But Low-hanging fruit. Yeah, exactly. But now they're talking about creating and promoting and on the create side of things, they're talking about songwriting tips and skills and, and recording yourself and things like that. It's like, wow, that's, that, is, that is definitely wading into territory that, well, no other certainly platform is dealing with. But it's wonderful that they've kind of included that. And it's just a, it's a lovely, lovely site with tons and tons of fantastic, actionable ideas and suggestions yeah. and, and workarounds and hints. It's wonderful. It's really fantastic. It, it reminds me of this uh, this quote I heard. I think it was Seth Godin. Who I'm a huge fan of Seth Godin and, and all of his marketing books. Um, they're just they're just amazing. But he had said something, and I'm going to butcher this, but it was something close to um, people don't buy what you do; they buy why you do it. And if you can create a product that uh, there's something bigger than the product, that there's a community around it, or a purpose or something that's aspirational, whatever it is. And that's what I see about this, is that this is now becoming much more than just a place to go stream music. It's, you know, some of the tools that they build into it, you know, with Spotify for Artists and their submission tool, and the fact that you can go into your own page and change out images and bio and social links and photos and the banner and the artist image and all of those things, and put your artist pick in there. You can crowdfund. I mean, we could go on and on, but now with this, they're taking it a step further and they're bringing that community together and it's, it's really powerful. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I, I was just at the NAM show down in Anaheim this, this just yesterday and Friday, you know, and, and that's, that's the music products trade show where you see instruments and software and things like that. And that, that historically has been a category off to the side. That's a different thing than you're talking about digital distribution and, and the mechanizations of, of selling that product you create. But, but what's, again, what's really impressive is that, that Spotify is now kind of thinking in a much broader space of how can they help our how can they help their their customers essentially that are posting music there? How, how can they make them their best artist? You know, and and yeah. it's it's pretty awesome. I mean, I really again, and we've talked about it before, but Spotify has to do this because they have to. They don't have other. That's all they do. Right? That's all they do. They don't have other things to fall back on like hardware or 
advertising or anything that that Google, Apple, right. et cetera, all have at their you know as 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 ways of propping that business up. So yeah. I we we often mention Spotify and we often are tipping our hats to them because they have yeah. to work harder and they do. And they do. They I don't know if you remember, but back in January. Uh, Spotify launched this uh, Made to be Found, an educational website designed to help artists increase their discoverability on Spotify. And it's these are the these are the things that differentiate them, and it shows that they're helping um, these songwriters and artists and and even you know managers and labels and distribution. While people are complaining about the payouts of of streaming you know i've said it before a stream is not worth a download a download is not worth a cd a cd is not worth premium vinyl i'm not one of those people who's going to dash or dash bash uh dsps because you know they're paying out roughly you know 70 percent of what they they bring in um it's very hard to make any kind of money in that streaming world but i think what you can do is you can add value and I feel like as we fight to get songwriters paid more, as we fight to maybe increase the fees that are charged for streaming, you know, there are those, including myself, that would argue that nine ninety nine a month is way too little to pay for, you know, 70, 80 million tracks uh, at your fingertips. Um, but without going down that rabbit hole, my, my hat goes off to, uh, to Spotify for another innovation. Again, uh, in focus, uh, Spotify for artists. Yeah, check it out. It's it's really well done, and boy, a lot it's a lot of great data points in there. And again, like I said, yeah. the, the the songwriting stuff was what I was was really drawn yeah. to, and it's like, wow, I love yeah. that. And we haven't even gotten into our our two great stories today. These are just kind of things that <laughs> popped up. I, I love that Alan Kovac thing because we've been talking about all these artists who are so stressed out with having to do all these things. And then some of the headlines said that some of them were forced to use TikTok against their will and, you know, some of these things. But again, if you plan these things out correctly, it won't be as as stressful. Right. So we, we jump into the first story. It's from Vox. Uh, with help from the pudding, we tracked what happens after TikTok songs go viral. Boy, yeah. that's really interesting and very scientific this, the way yeah. they kind of kind of jumped into it. So this created cool. quite a buzz this week. Um, I've, I've watched this several times. It's, it's a 22 minute, 37 second uh, video on YouTube. It's got about 600,000 views to date, um, which is pretty impressive. But we don't typically talk uh, about videos. We just let people watch them. But this this one deserves to be talked about. It was so well done. And there's so much great information in this. And I highly encourage everybody to watch that video. The link is in your morning coffee lead story. The video begins with this artist, Jake. And it's J-V-K-E, but it's pronounced Jake. And he was, you know, he did a TikTok with his mom creating a beat. Um, she didn't really create the beat. Like he created it ahead of time and then made it look like his mom, you know, created the beat. And uh, it was just adorable. And it, it started taking off. People really thought it was funny, thought it was really cool. Uh, and then there was some TikToks that he made holding a phone, showing, you know, some viral TikTok star basically with his mom in the background. And he would say, hey, mom, have you heard this song before? And there was a whole series of those. And since he was doing it with uh, kind of these viral TikTok artists, 
his video started getting tons of streams and he started putting his vocals at the end of it. When the first one that he did with his mom hit a million views, uh, Charlie D'Amelio used it. And if you don't know Charlie, she's the first person to earn both 50 million and 100 million followers on TikTok, right? Second highest earner on TikTok of uh, TikTok personalities, according to Forbes. She's awesome. Descri- uh, I can't speak today. She's often described, that's easy for you to say, as TikTok's biggest star. So Jake didn't have a manager and labels started calling. And we're, we're going to talk about that in a second, how, man, you get a TikTok hit, you're going to have some labels calling you. So yes, he got a manager fast and he cleared the sample from a song, uh, Hood Baby, eventually racking up nine billion with a B views, which is crazy. And so this uh, Vox investigated and they, they took a look at how TikTok is shaping the music industry and they did it in collaboration with the pudding. Right. So this video that we're talking about was put together by Estelle Caswell at Vox. Uh, Matt Daniels, he's a journalist at The Pudding, and they looked at the culture stories through data. Mm. So first thing they did, they created a data set of indie and DIY artists that went viral in 2020. So they were looking for the answer to the question, did vital is it vitality or virality? Virality. Virality, yes. Yeah. Did vir- which I think your your spell track often changes it to vitality. <laughs> did <laughs> virality does. change the outlook of their career? And then they asked, does does virality equal a music career? Ah. That one's a really interesting one. So so yes, you're a viral star on TikTok, but does that really mean you you have a music career? Uh, they took Spotify TikTok playlist tracks for calendar year 2020. Mm-hmm. They eliminated those that had fewer than a hundred thousand posts. Came up with 1,500 in quotation marks, viral songs. Then asked the question, is this an established artist or is this the artist's big break? They looked at Spotify's monthly listeners, the number of times they were playlisted, the number of tracks they released, and they found that it was their and, and they found that it was their big break on 125 of those 1,500 they they identified early on. Yeah. So what happened to these artists after they went viral? So good, so good. So they call it the TikTok to Spotify pipeline. And they have data to, you know, it shows exactly what you think it is, you know. Um, TikTok virality directly correlates to Spotify streams. That's the bottom line. This is why labels are so obsessed with it. And we talk about this so much. These tracks get playlisted on popular Spotify curated playlists like New Music Friday, which has, you know, over 4 million followers. So Jake went from zero Spotify monthly listeners in August, zero, right? to 3.4 million 90 days later. He's now got over 8 million monthly listeners. That was fast. They they also looked at new artists on the Spotify Top 200 in 2020. There were 332 artists that were on the chart for the very first time. Of that number, 25% have TikTok to thank for it. And there's a journalist that you and I talk about quite a bit, and we've uh, we've covered his pieces, Elias Light. And he said, Spotify pays out labels according to their share of total streams in a given time period. Say a big hit gets a billion streams over a six-month period. That can add a few points to your market share, which increases your payout from that Spotify pool of revenue. That's why they are watching TikTok so carefully and pouncing on those viral hits as fast as they can 
to capitalize on that market share because you're not paid. Remember that user centric model mm-hmm. is, you know, if I listen to Tears for Fears all month, they don't get my $10. Right. It's a big pool. You know, uh, Cardi B may get some of that, you know, some of these other people. So that's super interesting. Absolutely. So interesting to note. Um, so major label Spotify market share has dropped each of the past four years between 2017 and 2020. It's a 9% drop overall versus indie and DIY artists. So the new major label strategy is to monitor TikTok like a hawk, obviously, aggressively signing viral artists, Mm -hmm. which, of course, no shock here, has led to bidding wars. And now viral artists have leverage that they never had before, which is leading to more favorable deals. Check this out. So the standard record, you know, company deal looks like this. Label gives the artist an advance for ownership of the masters. Once the advance, which is essentially a loan, is recouped, eighty-five percent goes to the label, fifteen percent goes to the artists. Many artists, if you've been in the business for a long time, you know this. Many mm-hmm. artists never recoup. So what about what is the new deal for these viral artists looking like? Well. Apparently, there are a lot of 50-50 deals going on now, and and the licensed masters are for a term versus actual ownership. So that's how yes. competitive it is, and that's what yes. they're doing. And you can see, sort of see that because, you know, so I, if I'm a major label, so I'm looking at, at this thing. So essentially... An artist has done all of the work that I would typically do, right? So they, they've, you know, I'm, I'm looking at a brush fire instead of a campfire. And so yeah. I, I have much less to do. What the hell do I have to lose if I less give risk? Exactly. Absolutely. Less risk. Because yeah. we have, we have, we and you have talked about many times, the, the, the vast majority of artists sign don't make their recruitment back they just yeah. don't you know it's just it, it's the the batting average if you if one in ten artists are, are a smash you're a superstar in this business yeah. as a label so yeah. that that's a that's a pretty easy deal for a label a major label to make right and now um and there were several people that pointed this out including uh our friend ari herstand in this video um that now there's more leverage for an indie or DIY artists, more leverage than they've ever had before. So looking back at that original 125 artists, 46% of them went from unsigned to signed with a major label. Why? Well, major labels cut big checks. Yes, they do. That's one reason. Majors have relationships with the digital service providers like Spotify, Apple Music, Pandora, Deezer, which leads to more and better playlists. Another one is majors have worldwide reach. But not all viral artists are choosing the major label route. Some are choosing to remain independent because it's never been a better time to be independent, but it's also never been so challenging, right? There's an artist that they spoke to. His name is L. Dre. And he said, I'm at the whim of those almighty algorithms at all time, all times. He also said, if you want to make it today, you either have to have a lot of money to hire people or you, the artist, becomes the sound engineer, the video editor, the graphic designer, the photographer, the promoter, the social media expert. And that ties back with what we were talking about before of the stress and mental health issues and all sorts of things surrounding all of those things that I just described that uh, Eldre said. Absolutely. And so, you know, as, as they go on in the, in the video, it says it was recommended that you post on TikTok three to five times per week. 
That was at one time. Now it's three to five times per day. <laughs> oh my God. So, uh, I know, which is unbelievable. So, you know, in the video, they kind of pose these two questions. Is music just content now? And are musicians just content creators? And, and you know, they're sort of rhetorical questions because... Um, yeah. You know what, and we were kind of talking, bantering about what that is. So, in your yeah. mind, if you're working with an artist, you kind of say, "Well, this vertical over here is music, and and you produce that, and that streams and everything else. And then there's another bucket that you do the other stuff in. That's your content. Yeah. Or is everything thrown in one bucket? Is your music content, or your TikTok videos content, is a a, 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 a um, lyric video content is I, I don't know where you are on that, but, but well, there used to be the sign in, uh, in my old boss's office, um, uh, Jim Urie at universal that said something to the effect of it's not content, it's music. Right. And I think we're getting dangerously close to crossing a line where some of these things become content. You know, when you're making a TikTok video or an eight second canvas looping video, or you're making a lyric video, pseudo video, whatever it is, these are tools that you do to promote your music, hopefully. But some of these TikTok stars, they'll make a 15 second video and they've only got 15 seconds of music. And then they need, when it blows up, they need to get into the studio and make a song out of that 15 seconds. And I thought that was really interesting as well. Um, so I don't know about the content side. It's, it's not a horrible word, but let's not lose sight of, you know, this is music, but the other one is interesting. Are musicians just content creators? Well, yeah, I think in a lot of ways they are. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's there's so many more things created around that song, around that music. Yeah. Ted uh, Ted Joya also had an article in the uh, that's that's in the newsletter this week where he was talking about how essentially TikTok is kind of uh, as as this video talked about where suddenly a lot of DIY artists are saying, why do I need a major label? And they're talking about these, some of these new deals are 50-50. And I thought back to, um, if you're a fan of Led Zeppelin, you would know that their manager was a guy named Peter Grant. And Peter Grant started before Led Zeppelin, he was a road manager for a couple of 50s artists. And so he he got a close-hand look at how how live performing works and how artists were paid. And once he took over Led Zeppelin from the very beginning, he knew that the 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 golden goose was the live performance. And and he was the first to hold promoters, concert promoters, feet to the fire and say, 90-10 deal? Yeah, we're fl- it's going to still be a 90-10 deal, but you're getting the 10 and we're getting the 90 because they had leverage. And I think that's certainly what this article is talking about as well. If you are an artist that can do all that stuff, suddenly you have a leverage. And maybe when a major label comes calling it, maybe it's not going to be 90% to the artist, but it might be 60%, 70% to the artist. You know, So in many ways, perhaps labels are losing their leverage when it comes to signing folks that have already done a lot of this kind of groundswell work to get something going. But again, yeah. then the other side of that coin too is our viral stars established music stars. You know, in, in many ways, we came up, especially as kids, came up in an era of the one-hit wonder where there are lots of artists that were just... They had one hit in them for whatever reason, a variety of reasons, but that was it. And, you know, I, I would love to see kind of this, the, the looking at these artists over time, like over a five-year period and see, you know, do you, is, you just hit 
you know, does lightning strike once? Does it strike twice? Can, can yeah. are they true artists in the in the sense of of having a long a career with longevity? Yeah. I don't know. Well, there's a lot of headlines this last couple of weeks that you and I have been talking about. And I think that this video is so well done and so important for people to see, to understand that you can't just read the headlines because TikTok is not bad and it's not, you know, it's, it's a place where labels are finding some very talented people. But to your point, they're also finding people who have never played a live show. Nope. And I read one story where a young woman was brought into the studio who had never seen a real live instrument in her life. She had created all of her music on a laptop or an iPad, mm-hmm. you know, using GarageBand and she didn't play an instrument. And look, there's no crime in that. There's a lot of very talented singers out there and creators that don't play an instrument. But I think that it's so important that we look at the facts here and that there there is some great music coming from TikTok. Um, I worry that people get lazy sometimes and they're pouncing on these TikTok artists right now, putting a lot of effort into them. Um, and... Yeah, some of them are, are are very talented, but some of it is just a market share uh, grab, and I don't know how how healthy that is for the long term. Yeah, you know, it is called artist development um, for a reason, and it's hard, you know. And even with the best of intentions, the best uh, resources thrown at an artist, so few, you know, truly make it. But it's it's. Um, it's a, it's a bit of a conundrum for everyone in this in this chain, so to speak. For for someone who has a, a viral hit on YouTube or excuse me, on TikTok, are they going to uh, have that longevity just in general, or is it something that that you can nurture? You know, and sometimes labels yeah. can be very good at that. You know, they can kind of yeah. take an artist and put them in the studio with other songwriters and 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 teams to make it good, but it's still not a guarantee. So yeah. It's, it, it's, you know, the show is called, the, it's about the new music business, what we talk yeah. about. And so this is the new music business and it's it is. certainly uncharted territory. And when you talk about longevity, I think it's even harder now than it was in our era for artists to have longevity. For, yeah. if, for, if for no reason, then attention spans are so much shorter these days. Yeah. And, and yeah. you know, it, it, especially, especially like a, a viral YouTube artist, it seems like that appeals to a certain demographic and that demographic can easily grow out of that demographic. And then yeah. where are they? So I don't know, but it's, it's a fascinating thing to talk about and, and to, to, and I love the, the, all the effort that went into this. It's fascinating, you know, oh, it's very, so very good. methodical, very scientific, yeah, such a great piece. And uh, as we wind this down, um, I, I was reading this interview with Jonathan Daniel last week and he was talking about how he had, I think three people on staff, you know, this is at the management level right. looking at what's going on uh, at TikTok and to market his, um, his bands um, on TikTok. And I had this interesting conversation with uh, an executive over lunch last week who said, yeah, I, I you know, I'm, I'm not into this TikTok thing. I don't, you know, and I said, well, have you ever, been on there. No, I, I, I'm not, I have no interest. And I'm thinking, man, if you're in the business and this isn't 14 year olds doing dance crazes, um, you need to go at least check out uh, some things on TikTok to learn what it is because it's evolved. Yep. And one of my favorite kind of weekly emails is our friend Johnny Cloherty over at uh, Songfluencer, um, which is an influencer company. He has a weekly email that you can sign up for for free. And what's great about it is each week, 
he kind of lists some of the trends that are taking off on TikTok. And man, it evolves and changes so fast, fast. you know, that anybody tells you that they got it down, you know, they're either lying or they're naive because it's changed while we've been having this conversation. conversation. Oh, absolutely. And that is the, again, the other challenging thing to be in, in the marketplace, to be marketing music, to be managing music is that that right there which is man it is just it's it's first of all these these platforms are popping up and then the platforms themselves morph and change and and it like you said it's fast it is super fast get on there you know go look at your favorite artists on there or just explore um the app itself it's a rabbit hole like you you (laughs) turn that thing on and you start flipping through there next thing you know you know and an hour has gone by and you're like, whoa, because Where did that go? some of the stuff is hilarious. Yeah. Some of it, you see some amazingly talented people. There's this one kind of uh, uh, TikTok thing where people sing in front of their friends and relatives for the first time and they videotape it uh-huh. and the, to, to get their reaction. Yeah. And most of them are like amazing singers. And so they'll put set up their phone to record it and they'll just start singing whether it's in a car or at home and it's so fun watching their friends and their family just lose their minds like what so that's one small example there's hundreds if not thousands of amazing kind of memes and challenges and things that involve music and just you need to be on the platform you need to check it out Oh, without a doubt. Absolutely. Well, let's roll over to the next story, Jay. This is from our good friends over at Hypebot, a guide to releasing music in 2022. Albums versus EPs versus singles. This yeah. is a wonderful prime. Is it primer or primer when you say that word? I, I think it's I, primer. I, yeah, I mean, somebody will call and correct us. Yes, know, <laughs> like they did of, with remuneration. That's right. And which one? <laughs> which still doesn't sound right, to be honest. No, that, it really story. Exactly. It's about numbers. It should be renumeration. Yeah, exactly. But don't get me started. There you go. So this is a guide to releasing music in 2022. So as they say, the results are in. EPs are officially on the rise. And I love this. Whilst, somebody from the UK might have written this, uh, whilst albums are in decline, and we've got the data to prove it. Read on to check it out for yourself. So mm-hmm. this is kind of, a again, a, a snapshot of what's going on out there. And, you know, before we even get going on this, I will, again, kind of talk about the, and you were talking about, uh, was it on this? No, before. Before we, we hit record, I think we were ta- you were talking about listening to the new Tears for Fears album on yeah. vinyl, and yeah. and how that was such an active listening experience for you. Yeah. That is not the way most people listen to music anymore. And so you're talking about attention spans of people listening to stuff. And I think if I were an artist manager, I would say yes, release release fewer things but more frequently because people just don't have the attention span to really listen to albums and so we're seeing yeah. that in in this data here and it makes complete and total sense you know and and EPs yeah. for for so long were just dead <laughs> i mean remember that well, you yeah. know i remember it's the yeah. first time i saw an ep i'm like what's this um yeah and it, when I was at SST, we had a few artists that were doing EPs back in the day. They were um, almost a novelty. I almost when a Cheap novelty. Trick put out "Found All the Parts," you know, which yes. was an EP, and we just it came with I think it was four songs, and then it actually came with a single inside. Which, by the way, the new Tears for Fears on vinyl comes with a oh. two-song vinyl forty-five. Oh, that's cool. I, I just love that new Tears for Fears album. But we're talking about albums versus EPs, and they have a really cool chart in in that article that we're talking about. 
the number of albums released through Ditto, who Ditto Music put together this uh, this uh, story. Uh, the number of albums released by Ditto Music uh, has dropped by 25.3% uh, between 2016 and 2021, while singles and EPs have risen by 25.4%. Now, in my business, we're seeing this uh, exact trend that people are, it's an always on music industry. So mm-hmm. they always want to have something every four to six weeks in the marketplace that they can talk about, that they can have videos for, that they can have images for, that it's really important to, you know, whether it's trying to feed some algorithm or just trying to keep the uh, audience growth happening. Um, one of my favorite release uh, cadences, I'd like to kind of walk through it really quickly because this is becoming more and more popular. But two, three years ago when we did this, it was fairly new. And so what we did is we took one of our uh, clients, Vintage Trouble, uh, managed mm-hmm. by Doc McGee at the time. Great band. Amazing band. It's like, uh, you know, James Brown fronted by the Stray Cats. And, and this band had played some big shows. You know, they'd opened for the Rolling Stones and the Dixie Chicks and, you know, ACDC. And they'd played Wembley Stadium. But one, they're from Hollywood, California. But one of the things that they did was they played outside of the U.S. maybe a little bit too much. And some of their audience in the U.S. Um, was waning a little bit. And we wanted to revive that. They had recorded an album. And they said, we want to drop this album. And it, we just basically said to them, if you're going to drop this album like this soon without really setting this thing up, we, we're not going to be involved in this thing. Long story short, well, you know, when, when you're a recording artist and you record an album, you know, you just want that out and you want to move on, right? So I totally get why they wanted it out. So here's the release cadence that we did, and this will lead us beautifully into the story. So we decided to take that album and really make two EPs out of it, but that ended up being four EPs, and I'll, and I'll show you how. The first one, we, we took five songs, but... You know, and we have like uh, focus tracks leading up to that EP release. Then we took those same five songs and reimagined them, re-recorded them, remixed them. One was a maybe a reggae version or a bluesy version. I mean, they weren't just stripped down; they were totally different. They were really mm-hmm. cool, right? So then we had focus tracks leading up to that EP. Now we have two EPs out, and we've we've spanned you know months. Well, then we put those two five song EPs together for vinyl and for the CD, you know, for the merch table. Now you've got another thing going on. Then we repeated that whole release cadence with the next EP, but the second EP we had live versions of those five songs. Uh-huh. Married those together for the vinyl and the CD. And so this is like an 18 month release cycle always on, always had something to talk about. And it worked very, very well on in every aspect of that, whether it was sales streams and downloads, whether it was merch, whether it was uh, butts in the seats. And that's kind of the example I like to tell um, artists and managers about now is it doesn't have to be that. Um, you can just release tracks. There's a cover or a story um, this last week about people who are releasing a track a week for a year. Think about that. And they're trying to kind of game the algorithm a little bit because more regular music um, seems to help. But it doesn't necessarily have to be something that crazy. But you don't just drop necessarily an album in the marketplace. Now, there are always exceptions. Uh, Adult music where, let's say, jazz or classics maybe won't make as much sense for an EP or tracks. Um, But for a lot of music... It, it does. It makes a lot of sense. 
What I also liked about this article is they kind of break it down and, and uh, attach some some concrete numbers to, and times to what an EP and an LP is because yeah. that, that that could go that and I never really knew myself. So according to them, an EP, which and if you don't know, that stands for extended play, is essentially a half length a body of work. They say featuring between four to six tracks and has a running time of roughly fifteen to twenty two minutes, but can be up to thirty minutes. Versus an album which has anywhere from seventy from I'm sorry from seven to twenty nine tracks and has a running time of roughly thirty five to sixty minutes. And and of course, a single, uh, which is can be one to three tracks and it has a running time, generally speaking, of less than 10 minutes. So those are the kind of parameters with which we're thinking. And, you know, again, if I were, um, you know, advising a, an artist, I would say like, like, like you guys, you know, you've got this finite amount of music, stretch it out and reimagine it because... First of all, most people don't have the patience to listen to an entire 10 song album. And, you know, you're going to, so many of those tracks are going to get lost in the shuffle, no pun intended, because that's just the way people listen to music now. You know, it's just the way they kind of identify songs they like and they just get rid of the rest and you've lost an opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the only thing I would mention about the definitions that are in this article is that. I was researching this a little bit and found that there are a lot of opinions about what is an EP, what is an album, and what is a track. And I reached out to Glenn Peoples over at Billboard. I reached out to my business partner, Jeff Mosco, who knows this stuff really well. Um, Reached out to a friend of mine at the Grammys, and I got three different answers. And if you look look up the Grammys, the Grammys have um, designations for certain categories, and it's about the running time. Mm-hmm. And so I, I want to say that most, most of what I found coincides with this article, but there's confusion uh, in the marketplace as to what really is an EP. You know, is it three songs? Is it five songs? Is it seven songs? Yeah. Um, I have a client uh, that has a seven song EP. I have a client that has a seven song album. Um, And I think where it becomes important is if you are submitting it for Grammy consideration, you'll want to make sure that you check their, you know, rules as well. Um, If you're submitting it to digital service providers, um, you'll want to make sure that you're, you're following all of their rules. And, And also if you care about the charts, you know, is this going to be on an album chart? Is this going to be on the top 200? Those types of things. That's why I think it's really important. But a couple of things that I took away, one is what you just said. What is an album? What is an EP? What is a single? And I thought that was really great to have this in one place. And then, you know, what we talked about before with Ditto saying that, you know, EPs and singles are on the rise and have been since 2016. And albums have been falling, you know, as a percentage of releases. And, you know, I think that's, that's really interesting to see. They start asking, you know, should I release an album or should I release an EP? And this is a conversation I have almost every week. I bet. And a lot of times it comes down to, you know, is there a reason to release this body of work as an album? Sometimes there is. Sure. And Absolutely. And it may yeah. be part of the narrative, you know, whatever it is, it, that may be important. And it may be something you want considered for some accolades and it needs to be in that form. But they go on in this article to talk about, you know, what about the budget in terms of money? EPs are cheaper to make than albums, right? With with half the number of songs, you're going to spend half the, the, the budget there for that. 
Uh, the other one is look at your target audience. You know, which format you choose will directly influence your fans. You know, are your fans the type that are just basically consuming singles? And is your main focus just playlists? Now, you know how we feel about that. A playlist is not a marketing plan, but mm-hmm. there's some people who are solely, you know, focused on on that track economy. So it really comes down to, you know, what your goals are. And that's one of the first things we do when we sit down with an artist or, or a manager is like, before we even get to that narrative is like, what is, what is the goal of this release? One of the things that were kind of the eye popping numbers that were at the beginning of this article is if back in 2016, albums made up 35% of all releases. So that's 2016, 2021 albums made up only 9.7% of all releases. Uh, and that's a, big that's a that's a down 25%. On the other hand, number of single and EP releases has seen a continuous growth over the same 5-year period making a whopping 90.3% of total releases in 2021. That is pretty crazy. Yeah, it shows you the trend. It's pretty crazy, exactly. And then, yeah. th- then they go on to say in the article, so why release an EP over an album? And the number, first thing they mention is the streaming industry. With on-demand streaming taking, a, taking the new music industry by storm, digital streaming platforms like Apple Music and Spotify, as well as social media platforms like TikTok and Instagram, are now the main places where listeners yeah. are looking for new music. So it makes sense that a short-form EP works perfectly to release on these big platforms, plus smaller ones like Bandcamp and SoundCloud. Yeah. Makes total sense, right? Yeah, we're getting used to it. It's not weird anymore when no. an artist releases an EP. In fact, it's actually kind of cool because I read this research that showed that when you're a fan of an artist, that you really only listen to four or five of their tracks. And when right. they release a new track, you don't listen to six, one of them drops off. Yes. And if you look at um, like iTunes back in the day had a kind of a progress bar that showed you the most um, popular tracks. Mm-hmm. And there were always, you know, from a given artist, you know, there's always like four or five that outperform the rest. And you can see this with that front facing number on, on Spotify to see which ones are kind of overperforming the rest. And it's really true. Um, it's right around four or five tracks are going to outperform yeah. typically uh, the rest. So these, these kind of bite-sized chunks, you know, these EPs, I think will help listeners to listen to the whole thing as opposed to uh, pulling tracks off into a playlist. And further on this EP conversation, one of the reasons they say to do that, as as you were just saying, basically, Jay, was playlists and music consumption habits. Millions of songs available to listeners at the touch of a button. They're becoming conditioned to listen to more artists and a shorter collection of songs. There it is. There you go. Those are modern consumption habits, including a shortened listener attention span, as well as streaming giants like Apple Music and Spotify, highly promoting more playlist consumption. So. I, I can't think of a reason. Well, and then, and then the number three thing they said here. Well, before is, you get is, into three, yeah, right, yeah. right before three, check out that fun fact right before number three, where it says, uh, did you know? Did you know? A global streaming study found over half, 54% of people interviewed are listening to fewer albums now than they did five to 10 years ago. There you go. 
There you go. But as you were saying, Jay, you know, this also an EP thing allows you to maintain a regular release schedule. And that is so crucial in the new music business. You know, it's not like it was you could do a new album two to three years between between releases. It ain't that way anymore. So, you know, this this kind of a regular release cadence, as you have, have said, is super important. And of course, it helps you build and grow your fan yeah. base. And what else are yeah. you trying to do out there besides that? So Yeah, and there's another reason they say, you know, why you should release an EP uh, over an album. And I hadn't really thought of this. It's releasing music that doesn't, quote unquote, fit the bill. And it says, you know, have you ever written an epic track, but it just doesn't fit the theme or the soundscape of your project. And I do have a client right now who's doing kind of a side project. And that is a really cool thing uh, to kind of put on an EP. And there are artists like Beck, who early, early on was putting out EPs between albums. I mean, even before streaming was a thing, Mm -hmm. just kind of cutting edge things because you can do so much more and be so much more creative and not have to worry about a full album of something that's, you know, jazz influenced or whatever it is. Right. Um, I, something tells me that if Prince were still alive today, there would be a whole bunch of really cool, uh, EPs that were coming out, uh, between albums. And, you know, my kind of recollection too is because when I was at Warner's, you know, Warner's was doing a lot of, of, um, importing of or, or doing U.S. distribution for a lot of different labels. A lot of EMI artists, artists that were on EMI in the in the UK, would be released through Warner's. And it, it seems like the, the in the UK in the physical music business, there was many more EP releases over there than yeah. there were here. I'm not sure why that is or was, but that was certainly the, the case. I remember a number of Smiths things were work some EPs yeah. and and or or you know basically like. 12 inch, three song singles, EPs, whatever, whatever you want to call them. And so it, for whatever reason, that was always really popular in the UK. Not so much here. And I don't know if, why that was or is. Somebody but. told me it, it was like that because the UK understands the fan mentality better than yeah. most uh, territories. And I, I tend to believe that a little bit. One of my favorite things that uh, the UK used to do, and they did it with one of my favorite bands, Crowded House, was back before downloads and it was really CDs is they would release the new single by Crowded House and you would buy it and you open it up and it's a dual digipack, meaning there are two slots for two CDs, but there was only one CD in it. And it was the single, Uh, but then it would have like an acoustic version and a live version with it. So you got three songs, but then the other slot was empty and in a month, the other disc was released in like a slip sleeve and you would buy that and fill in. Yeah. It was a lot of fun. And if you're a collector it, you know, or a completist, it was really cool. But they understand that fan mentality, man. You got to get that second disc. And they were $9.99 each. So, you know, you buy one, then you buy the other and you've spent more than you would spend on the full CD, right? It reminds me of, remember back when ringtones were a thing? Oh, that's right. You'd spend like $3 on a a ringtone, which was like, you know, 20 seconds of a song or whatever it was. And, but you'd balk at spending, you know, 99 cents for the full song. (laughs) Well, plus, you know, the thing about the UK, too, is it's a much smaller territory. So trends are much faster and and, and release cycles are much shorter. So you need to be a little bit more creative in that in in a territory like that. So it makes a good point. But but yeah, but it's a great piece, man. I mean, we've been talking about this so much lately. 
about release cadences and what's a what's an EP and why should I do an EP when I could just do an album and this uh, piece by Ditto, it's a distribution company. It doesn't say who actually wrote it, I don't think, but it was really well done and, and it was in Hypebot. So hats off to A Guide to Releasing Music in 2022. Absolutely. And on that note, Jay, we must wrap up this edition. That's right. This is episode 95. Time to uh, to pull the curtain down and go our, go about our way on a Sunday <laughs> afternoon. But uh, yeah. we want to do thank Hypebot and Bands in Town, our super wonderful sponsors. Thanks so much, guys, over there and yeah. gals. Uh, we appreciate, appreciate that. It. And Jay, we will roll into our next episode for next week, 96. So thanks for listening, everyone. Have a fabulous week. And we will see you next time on the Your Morning Coffee podcast. You've been listening to Your Morning Coffee, the weekly music news program for the new music business. Join Jay Gilbert and Mike Etchard next time for the digital music news you need to know.